Bibles, if you would, <clears throat> to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I want to start this morning by asking a question that I, I have actually been pondering for uh, some time. And uh, the question is this, what constitutes value? I want you to think about it for a second. What, what constitutes value? And one of the things that I have come up with is what someone is willing to pay. Does that not make sense? Over the past few months, um, my wife and I have come to this realization Many of you know that um, my dad died a year ago and then my mom just a few months ago, and we have had to liquidate their estate. And it has been an, it's been an interesting journey of value to us. Now, let me give you an example. After we did, we had our estate sale, we had three sets of china left from this, this, this that did not sell. And I was talking with the lady who was in charge of the estate sale, and I, I said something to the effect of, this is really good china. Why, why did nobody buy it? Because they had it marked like really, really low. And they had even told us before the sale that it's not going to sell. And... Um, I, you know, so she explained, she says, people don't entertain anymore like they used to. So China to people today is, is just not worth anything. So the sale happened the, and she was right. None of the China sold. And I'm, I'm sitting there, I, I'm standing in the kitchen looking at these three sets of China. And I, I said, I said, you can't just expect me to throw it away. And this, and she said this, and and I I, I hope I never forget what she said. She, and this is what she says. She says, "Why not? I could." And I went, "How dare you?" But as I thought about it and I pondered what she was saying, is value is only dependent on what people are willing to pay for it. And what had I done? I had placed emotional value to something. I remembered the Christmas and the Thanksgiving dinner, sitting around the table, eating meals from these dishes. But to her... It was just a pile of glass. It had no emotional value. And oftentimes what we do is we attach emotional value to things and we think that they're worth more than somebody's willing to pay. Fortunately, I was able to find a good home for all three sets. 
I didn't throw them away. I didn't do it. I couldn't. I, I, I'd have boxed them up and put them in the garage. I don't know what I'd have done. But I just couldn't do it. Why? Because I, I had emotional value. But that has nothing to do with, with what we would consider value. <clears throat> so the question, what is true value, I don't know that I totally know the answer yet. I'm still on that, on that journey of trying to figure it out. I think I'm getting close. And I, and I think, well, I, I actually think I know, but I know what it's not. I know that what is, what, is, what is true value, and I know this, it's not stuff. It's not stuff. The recent events in our country have reminded me of this, of this mental journey that I've been on for a few months trying to figure all this out and In Hawaii, the wildfires in Hawaii. I read a story of a man who uh, lived in the in the I guess the the the, the most hard hit area there, and uh, he died helping people get to safety. He had already helped multiple people that were handicapped and all. Getting them in the, you know, in the, into safety, and he was, and he kept going back into the fire, and and he never came out. And the thing that hit me was he wasn't running into the fire, grabbing china dishes, pianos, jewelry. What was he doing? Getting people. The other thing that just recently this week God reminded me of is Hurricane Adalia hit Florida. And then and then it went up into Georgia and North and South Carolina and, and affected a lot of people. A lot of a lot of my wife and I's uh, family live in that region and we have friends all over that region and we've reached out to many of them our son lives in south carolina and i called my son and i said hey son how is your stuff is your is your truck okay is your household goods okay is that what i asked him no what did i ask him are you guys okay see i didn't care about the stuff Cared about him and his and his children and my and my daughter-in-law. See, that's what's important. Not the stuff. This morning, Jesus gives us three parables in succession. They're just they're three short little parables, and they're 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 they, he gives them to us in succession, and these 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 parables deal with something of great value. Let's read them in, in uh, Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. <clears throat> Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure 
hid in a field, which when a man hath found, he hath uh, he hideth, and the joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a, a merchant man seeing a goodly pearls, excuse me, seeking goodly pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great value or great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, in the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathereth of all, every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, cast the bad away. So shall it be the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. And Lord, I want to thank you for these parables and the precious truth, truths that we can, we can glean from these three very simple parables. Lord, help us. Help us, dear God, this morning to put away the busyness of life and just kind of focus on you for just a few minutes this morning because it's all about you. It's all about you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The three parables are this. The first one is the the hidden treasure. The second one is the pearl of great price. And then the third one is called the the net or the great net, however you want to put it. Um, They are all three separate parables but they are all interconnected, okay? So, um, and they and they all come on the heel of the the parable of the of the tares or the the false teachers in the church. So, yeah, Jesus teaches on false teachers, and then he goes into these the, the succession of three parables, just bang, bang, bang. Um, so let's look at them in succession and see what God has for us this morning. The first one is the hidden treasures, the hidden treasures. Um, <clears throat> verse 44, And again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto the treasure hid in a field, which when a man hath found, he hideth, and the and uh, for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth <clears throat> the, that field. And many people interpret this parable uh, in a in a very simple way and that is that uh, a sinner finds Jesus then he goes and he sells everything he has so that he can follow Jesus then and that is how a lot of people interpret this but there's some problems with that interpretation the first one is that Jesus is not hidden Jesus is probably the most well-known person that has ever walked the face of this earth. So he, he is not hidden. If anything, he's out there and easy to find. 
the second problem with that interpretation is sinners cannot find Christ because they are blind and with sin. In Acts chapter 26, in Paul's testimony to King Agrippa, he was telling the king, hey, one of the reasons why I do what I do, and he says in, in Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan and to God, that they may receive forgiveness and the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So what the Bible is saying is when before we're saved, we're blind. And Jesus is the one seeking us, not us seeking him. The, another reason why that interpretation doesn't work is because we cannot purchase salvation. There is nothing we can do to purchase salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I have a question for you, another question for you. What was purchased? Was the treasure purchased or the land? The land was. And oftentimes we read this parable and we, we think that the guy buys the treasure. The guy doesn't buy the treasure, he buys the land. And this is, a, this is an important thing that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Look at look at verse verse eight, uh, excuse me verse thirty eight. It explains what the land represents here. In verse in, in verse thirty eight, it says the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the tares are the children of the wicked one. So so when what is when when Jesus tells this this parable. <clears throat> Uh, in verse 44, what what is the land representing? The world. Okay, so then if 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 the land is representing the world, then what does the treasure represent? Close. It, it represents the nation of Israel. Okay, look at, uh, uh, well, you don't have to turn there, but uh, they'll put it up on the board here. Um, uh, Psalm chapter 135 and verse 4 says, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his, what, peculiar treasure. Oftentimes, more often than not, when the Bible is referring to Israel, it is referring to Israel as a treasure. So Jesus is, this parable that Jesus is talking about here is, is that he is telling us that this parable is about Israel. That Jesus was is going to sacrifice himself. Jesus is going to sell everything that he has, or he's going to give everything he has so that he could buy the world and save Israel. Does that make sense? It's an incredible picture here of the the man who finds the treasure and hides it in the world and then goes and he gives everything that he has to be able to purchase it. 
And what did Jesus do for us? He gave everything. He gave everything. But this is a picture of Israel. This is not a picture of of us. See, the, the problem is this. God had given Israel a job. And that job was to spread the good news of the gospel. And Israel failed that job. They had become a hidden nation, if you would. Everything became about them. And the, the, the illustration here of the hidden, the hidden treasure is very representative of Israel at the time because they had become a hidden nation. They were not investing their treasure. They were keeping their treasure. Jesus gave all to purchase the entire world and save the nation of Israel. John chapter 11, verses 51 and 52 says, And this spake he not of himself, but being a high priest that year, he uh, prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation and not for the nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. So the first parable that we see here is clearly speaking of Israel, the hidden treasure. The second parable that we t- we see in verses 45 and 46 is talking about a, a a a merchant who is shopping for pearls and he comes across this one pearl that is so precious he's got to have it so what does he do he goes and he sells everything that he has to be able to purchase this single pearl Again, this is not about a sinner being able to buy his way into heaven. No one has enough stuff in this world to be able to do that. Because it's just stuff. The pearl here represents the church. And Jesus and the 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 <clears throat> Jesus is is giving all not only to buy the world so to save Israel but he's he's giving all to buy the church and he gave his blood for the church he died for the church the word church here or excuse me the word pearl here, I didn't know this, I learned this, is a, is a Hindu word that means pure. And Jesus was giving all to buy the church. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 24 to 27, it says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wife be to her own husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives. What? Even as Christ loved the church, and what? Gave himself for it. He died for the church. 
that He might sanctify it and cleanse it and wash uh, 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 with the washing of the water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish or pure. Like a pearl. The church is produced. Is well. Did you know this that a that a pearl is a result of suffering? The way a pearl is formed is that a grain of sand or some kind of foreign objects uh, object gets inside an oyster or some kind of clam or whatever, and what happens is, in order to protect itself, the oyster creates a uh, coating around this foreign object. And as long as it stays inside the clam, it is constantly building layer upon layer upon layer until it forms a pearl. And some of these pearls can get so large that they become so valuable that they're almost priceless because they're so rare. But they're a result of suffering. And the church is a result of suffering. This church, through persecution uh, for many, many years, we don't, we don't experience it in the United States for now, but it's coming. I believe with all my heart, persecution is coming to the church. Something else that I found out about a pearl. In order to harvest the pearl, guess what has to happen? The oyster has to die. What a wonderful picture of our Savior. Someone once said, the pearl is found in an oyster's grave. I found that to be very interesting. Because Jesus likens the New Testament church to a pearl. He gave his life for. He died for the church. This points us to the cross. Points us to Calvary. Jesus gave his, his all for the church. A pearl, a pearl grows slowly through time. It doesn't, the sand doesn't get in or the, whatever the object is doesn't get in and just poof, you have a pearl. It takes years upon years to develop a pearl. And the church has been, been growing for over 2,000 years. Is it is the church perfect? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not perfect. But despite Satan's efforts, the church will endure. And I do want to say this. The picture here is a single pearl, not a, not a whole bunch of pearls. 
And this is representative of the New Testament church. Now, there, there, are, there are many, many, many local churches, but we are all in the body of Christ. What a wonderful picture for us. Paul calls the church purchased a, a purchased possession. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, it says, <clears throat> which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession or the redemption of the local church, of the New Testament church, unto the praise of his glory. John Phillips wrote this, he says a pearl is, a, is silky white in color and time cannot rust it, tarnish it in any way. In the day of the Lord, pearls were special treasures of kings and were destined for the throne. It seems that Christ uh, had, in this, had this in mind when he selected the pearl to be the vehicle to convey this the mystery uh, the conveying uh, a mystery uh, truth to his disciples he had set his heart on a rare unique and priceless pearl i like what john philip says here he had counted the cost and was about to pay the the price before long he bought it calvary Jesus counted the price and he paid the price and he bought the church. And as an oyster's pearl is salvaged from the stormy sea, so the church was taken from the relentless sea of the Gentile world, destined for the throne. The church will be exhibited eternally as a prime example of God's sovereign grace. What an incredible picture for us this morning. At the beginning, I asked the question, what constitutes value? And the answer to that that I have been able to come up with so far is what someone is willing to pay for that. Well, I'm here to tell you, it costs Jesus everything. To purchase the pearl. Everything. He gave everything for Israel. He gave everything for the church. He gave it all. And then the third parable here. I hope you get this because this is precious. In verse 47 to 50 says again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathereth every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessel, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the fiery furnace. 
there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. We have here another word, word, word picture that Jesus gives us. Here the sea represents the world once again. But we're not talking about Israel in the third parable. We're not talking about the church in the, in, in the, in the third parable. We're talking about individual choices made by individual people in the third, in the third parable. Individuals. We will all make the choice of the purchase that Jesus made on Calvary that day. We will all make our own choices. Whether we will accept the gift that Jesus has given or we will reject the gift that Jesus has given. It's a wonderful picture of the individual responsibility that we all have. We live in a world today that is stagnant in the things of God. Do we not? And as I sat and I pondered this and I thought about it and prayed about it, I was, I was reminded of the the, the, the church of Laodicea in, in, in Revelation chapter 3. The church of Laodicea was a real church. It was the, the, it's the, if you're familiar with um, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, uh, the, Jesus addresses seven churches. It's called, we, we call it the seven churches of Revelation. And, and, and each of those were real churches of the day. And he was addressing the pastors of each of the seven churches. But as we can look back in history, we can see that they not only were, were real churches of the day, but they represent seven periods of time in the New Testament church. And we happen to be in, some people would call it the Laodicean age or the, the church age or the lukewarm age where people are just stagnant about the things of God and are, for the most part, I'm not talking about people here this morning, but you know what I'm talking about. You try talking about, about the Lord to people uh, <clears throat> out there and they, and they just reject it. Oh, I don't want to hear that. It's a sad place that our world is getting to. And I'm here to tell you it's going to get worse. But in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 and, uh, through 20, the, the Bible says this, and, and unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou <clears throat> art neither cold nor hot, and I have, or excuse me, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Now let me let me stop here, and I, I want to explain something to you. We we understand this to a, to a point. How how many of you like lukewarm liquids? Not not most of us. 
what do we do? We want, for the most part, most people want something either hot or cold. But if I drink a cup of lukewarm coffee, yeah, no, it's like, where's the sink? I need to spit this out. <clears throat> but I want to explain to you something here because this is really critical to understanding what Jesus is communicating here in Revelation chapter 3. The city of Laodicea was between two other cities. And I just lost the two cities. I had it and they're gone. Uh, anyway, I can't remember the names. Huh? Theropolis was one of them. Anyway, they, between these two cities, what it was, was one of them was, was <clears throat> up in the mountains and it, and it had a cold spring that they were, this, this city was famous for this cold spring that came out of the, the mountain. And, and the water would run down the, the mountain into Laodicea. But the problem was the other city was known for its uh, mineral springs, their, their hot springs. And the water from that town came down to Laodicea. And guess what happened when it got to Laodicea? It mixed. And it wasn't worth drinking. So the word picture that Jesus gives this church is, is a word picture that they absolutely understood. He said, you are, the church, your church has become so lukewarm, nobody wants anything to do with it. That's a sad place for a church to get. But he goes on. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods. In other words, I am rich and I got a lot of stuff. And have need of nothing. I I, I knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What was it? Jesus is telling the church here, you've become lukewarm because you have become all about stuff, because you think you've got a lot of stuff, you have forgotten that you're miserable and poor and that you have a lot of needs. Back many years ago, right after I got saved, I sat down with my, my mom and dad and I shared the gospel with them. And I went through the Bible and I showed them how they needed to get saved and how Christ died for their sins. And, and I looked at my mom and my dad, and I, particularly my dad, and I said, Dad, I said, do, do you want to pray and get saved? And this is, this is 40 plus years ago. And my dad, looking at me, he said, Rick, he said, look around you. He was, a, he was an executive in an in a aerospace company. My mom was an engineer working McDonnell Douglas. Their incomes were really, really good. And he says, look around you. Here we are sitting in a very, very nice home, Southern California, worth a lot of money. And this is what he told me. He said, Rick, when you got saved, you needed God. He said, I don't need God. 
Praise God he got saved at the age of 85. Because you know what? He needed God. He didn't realize 40 years earlier that he was in desperate need of a Savior. All he could see was he was surrounded by all this stuff. What is value? I know it's not stuff. Jesus goes on. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the same of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, and be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now let me ask you a question. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the pastor of a church. So when he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, who is he talking about? He's talking about believers. Now can we can we make the application to the to the unsaved world that 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 Jesus is 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 making the plea to the unsaved world? Absolutely, we can make application to that. But but more directly, God is talking to you and me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I want to have fellowship with you. I want to get to know you, and and I want you to get to know me. All you have to do is open the door. What is truly valuable? The souls of men cost Jesus everything. He gave it all for you and for me so that we had the choice to make. Let me close with an illustration that I read recently. John Wesley, a pastor in England in the 1700s, was robbed as he returned home from the service one night. As the bandit was leaving, Wesley called out and said, Stop! I have something more to give you. The surprised robber paused. He said, my friend, said Wesley, he says, you may live to regret this sort of life. If you ever do, there's something to remember. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sins. Amen. The the thief hurried away and Wesley prayed that his words would bear fruit. Years later, Wesley was greeting people after a church service when he was approached by a stranger. 
it surprised Wesley to learn that this visitor, now a Christian, was a successful businessman. Was the one who robbed him years earlier. He's, and this is what he said. He said, I owe it all to you. Said the transformed man. Oh, my friend, Wesley explained. Not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ. That's the choice. That's the choice. Jesus gave his all on Calvary for you and for me. And the choice is ours to make. And the picture that we are given here in this parable is that at the end at the end of the or at the end of let's see, what does it say here? Uh, at the end of the world. Separation will be made. I hope you've chosen wisely. I hope you've chosen wisely. Three very precious parables the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, and the net. Beautiful pictures of what Christ has done for each of us. He's given all so that you could have eternal life. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, as you do, I believe, even now, stand at the door of our hearts and, and you are knocking Saying, come, let me come in and be a part of your life. Let me come in and spend time with you so you can get to know me and I can get to know you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What a beautiful picture of the, of the relationship that you desire with each and every one of us because of the great cost, the great price that you paid. You knew the price. You knew the cost. And you went and paid the price anyway. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for the, the Bible that gives us these wonderful snippets of, of, of word pictures that we can use to understand just how much you love us. Thank you for all that you do. With every head bowed.